Well, good morning, everybody. This is a cool weekend. We're uh, fortunate to be able to have an ordination weekend for uh, Doug Atterbury. Uh, so welcome to the Rock Community Church. I am Mark, Pastor Mark. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Um, if you're visiting with us, a special welcome to uh, you if you're visiting. So thankful to have you here. Um, family and friends that came here just for Doug this weekend, just slip up your hand. We should, most of you should be over here. Thanks for being here. Hope you enjoy your time with us. Thanks for, for joining us this morning. And the youth are represented. <laughs> well done. You took some of our seats that we normally like to sit here, but we're okay sacrificing for you this morning. We want you to know that. I, I'm lying, right? I gave these guys a hard time. Um, so interestingly enough, last night, this is pretty funny. Uh, we ordained Doug, and we do, you know, we anoint with oil while we ordain somebody, and so um, we thought we'd get a little carried away with the oil just to make sure. So afterwards, Pastor, Doug, Pastor Dave said, he goes, there are salads in this beloved city with less oil than Doug. <laughs> I wasn't part of that, but we had quite a few laughs. That you, so we were worried that we, there was going to be a glare off your forehead um, this morning, but I think you did a good job of squeezing all that oil out. So um, we didn't do that on purpose. We were just really excited for you. Um, Doug's going to come up and preach in a moment. I'm going to pray over him. And if he does well, we'll we will ordain him. If not, we're going to make him we're going to make him preach next weekend. But he should be fine. The first two were fantastic. So because we do three services, he is two thirds ordained. We look forward to completing the job when he's done. So why don't you come up, brother? Yeah. Way to represent. That's impressive. Let me pray. Let me pray for our brother, then we're going to let him um, lead us in God's word. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your provision of this man of God. Lord, we pray that your hand would be upon him this morning as he shares your word, and clearly, Lord, upon his ministry here at the Rock Community Church. Bless the work of his hands, but may he always, always, always depend upon you, for it is only in you and through you that we can do anything. Um, that's worth speaking about, Lord. It's all about you. God anoints his tongue, his words, his heart, and his mind as he uh, leads us in your word this morning. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Knock it out. Thank you, Pastor Mark. Pastor Mark learned because the last time 180 was in the building, um, Pastor Mark forgot to reference them so they could woo, which is what you just woo. Um, and so, is that better? You guys got a woo in? All right. Thank you guys for, for coming to hear... Um, a young guy speak to you this morning. Um, thank you guys also for, for loving so much on, on me and my wife and my two young girls. Um, we feel like we are so loved here that this is our home. I think uh, we came in May for the very first time, and it was only about two weeks after we came here that we truly felt like this is where God had us to be. I remember meeting with the elders about the potential of coming on staff, and um, after we were done, Kelly looked at me and said, if you don't get this job, can we still come here? And um, I said, sure, but it'd be awesome if they paid me. Um, <coughs> so it worked out. Um, if you are new to this church and you, you, don't, you don't feel like this church is a family yet, let me just encourage you to get to know us a little bit. Don't just sit in the back and take off and leave. Uh, come have breakfast with us. Stay after service. Get to know us a little bit. I, I am positive you will fall in love with this church. 
Um, and I do have to say a special shout out. Thank you for the college age kids that I have the opportunity to minister to here to and to 180. You guys, in particular, you 180 kids, I cannot tell you how much I love you. Um, you have made this job for me feel like the greatest thing in the world. This doesn't feel like a job to me. This feels like a joy and a privilege because I get to do this with you every single week. So thank you for coming here. I can see your beautiful faces and for supporting me. Um, I told them that they have to come to things like this. It's like when a girl uses the restroom, I assume that they have to have some like encouragement to have another girl go with them. That's what I need them to do that with me. Um, I don't know what they do in there, but that's, yeah. That's what I need them here for. So let me, let me share before I get started a little bit about myself because not many of you, not all of you know me. Um, I came to the Lord when I was 19, second year of college. Um, the Lord grabbed me quickly and, and just threw me right into what he was going to have me do. I started attending church probably three days a week. I was serving in youth ministry. I was serving um, in a homeless ministry. I was doing street evangelism. I was doing a lot of things. Um, very early on, after I was saved at 19, I felt this pull into ministry. I will never forget my best friend Andy Contreras looked at me one afternoon and said, Doug, I think God is calling you to be a pastor. And I think I probably looked at him like he was crazy. Um, I'd never thought about that. I was on the track to be a firefighter. I'd got my EMT license and I was, I was on the path. Uh, but God had other plans. Uh, probably a few, just a few weeks after that, uh, I was in a church service and I was sharing with one of the leaders, Anthony was his name, in this church service that I just didn't feel... Adequate. I felt inadequate as a believer. I, 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 didn't, I didn't feel like I was smart enough or clever enough or I didn't know my Bible well enough for sure. Uh, I, I was nervous when I shared my faith. I had doubts that God even existed sometimes. And Anthony opened up, had me open up to a passage in 1 Corinthians and had me read it aloud. That verse and that moment has stuck with me for 10 years um, because that's the moment when I start, started to first feel God pull me into ministry, call me into ministry. So how did I get there from being saved in that first call to here? Well, I'm going to do it really fast. A few months later, met my wife, Kelly. We dated for a few years, went to Cal Baptist, California Baptist University, got a bachelor's degree in Bible and theology, Um, got married two weeks after we graduated, wasting no time, Um, started working in my church in Lake Arrowhead. I was a youth intern, then I was a worship leader, then I was a worship intern, then I was a worship director, then I was a worship pastor, finally ordained in that church as a pastor of worship um, we uh, started attending seminary. I started attending sem- seminary at Talbot School of Theology shortly after that. Did about one semester and then uh, had our first daughter, Allie, so I took a break. Um, shortly after that, we moved down to Orange County and worked at Biola for the last three years as a graduate admissions counselor and uh, working on my master's degree in theology. And here we are now. Um, we have another daughter, Emmy. She was born about a year ago. She just turned one last Sunday. So in trying to determine what to preach today, um, which is a challenging thing to do on the day that I'm ordained as a pastor, what do I preach on? And I couldn't think of anything more appropriate to preach to you guys than that verse that my friend shared with me um, the day I felt God pulling me into ministry. So that's the verse that I'm going to share with you guys today. And so if you guys would turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And let me pray for us and for myself before we get started here. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather in your name as part of your body, as part of your church. We are so thankful that we 
are united together in you. We're so thankful that we can come together to learn from your word, together to grow, to be more like you. Lord, I praise you for who you are, and I ask, Lord, that you would give me the ability to speak, to proclaim your excellencies here today. I pray for those that are in attendance, Lord, that they would not just come and hear and leave, Lord, but that they would be cut to the heart, that your word would penetrate them, that they may live lives that are glorifying to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity to share it. In Jesus' name, amen. So before I read this passage, I have a question for you. What is the most important thing you could know? If there is one thing that you could know above everything else, one thing, what would it be? Would it be how to become successful, how to be healthy, how to be free from disease, how to become a millionaire? For some of you, it was how to win the Powerball last week. For some of my younger friends here, um, how to keep and get a boyfriend or girlfriend. That might be the most important thing to you. What would your one thing be? What's that most important thing to you, the thing that matters the most, the thing that you value the most? If you go to the bookstore, you might figure out what our culture says is the most important thing. When I was younger, I swear there was a section about this big of cookbooks. That's all they had. Now it seems like the health and fitness section is a whole wall of health and fitness. Then you've got about a third of the store over here that's self-help. Then you've got another third that's how to make money, keep money, invest money, retire, be successful in your life, your business, your career, your finances. It seems like our world is obsessed with this idea of self-improvement. We're obsessed with how to become healthy, strong, how to be successful, prominent, how to reach that coveted upper echelon in every area of our life, how to be that person that looks and feels great about ourselves, how to be that person that rubs shoulders with the rich and the famous and the powerful. All, our culture is consumed with this idea that if we just try hard enough, work at it, gain knowledge, and then try some more, work some more, we can become someone. We're obsessed with this idea of becoming someone that matters, someone special. So let me ask you again, what is the most important thing you can know? Have you bought into the lies of our culture that say that the most important thing is about you and your life's pursuits? It's all about you? what you can accomplish, what you can achieve, who you can become. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Paul says this, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. Right away, doesn't that sound a little bit different than the way our culture thinks about status? Let me break this down a little bit for you before we jump into it too much. Paul here is addressing the church at Corinth. If you guys know anything about the Church of Corinth, you know this. The Church of Corinth is not a bunch of all-stars. They are not an A team. Okay? We oftentimes think of this church as this perfect institution. The early church is this perfect institution that when it was started, it was flawless and it just maintained that, that sense of perfection. We even have this description in Acts of this 
church starting off, and it sounds perfect. And I'll read it for you. It's right after Peter is preaching to the crowds. This is what happens. Acts 2.41 says this. So then those who had received his word, Peter's word, were baptized. And that day there were about 3,000 souls added. It's pretty good. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? This ideal picture of the church, the early church, almost this utopic version of the church. But it wasn't long in the church's history that sin started to creep in. Just like in every situation when sin creeps in, it corrupts, it infects, it destroys And the New Testament letters that are addressed to churches all deal with churches who are dealing with some issues of sin. And of all of those letters addressed to all those churches, the book of 1 Corinthians addressed to the church in Corinth is probably the worst. They were dealing with the worst sins, the most flagrant sexual sins, sins of pride, even misunderstandings and the most basic ideas of theology like the resurrection and the use of gifts. They were a sinful church but a normal church. So let me pause real quick and say this. Because I'm I'm tired of hearing this, honestly. If you believe that the church is a place where everyone has it all together all the time, you are 100% dead wrong. If you've ever said that the church is full of hypocrites, first of all, welcome. You'll fit right in. And second of all, that's probably a wrong understanding that you have of the church. The church is not a place where a bunch of perfect people come to do everything right. It is a place where a bunch of screwed up people come to stop to learn how to stop doing everything wrong. Let me say that again. The church is not a place where a bunch of perfect people come to learn how to do everything right. It is a place where a bunch of screwed up people come to learn how to stop doing everything wrong. We are not, nor ever will be, perfect people here on earth. There is only one who is perfect, and that's Jesus. And it's because of him that we gather together, not to attain some level of moral or spiritual perfection, but to rest in the fact that by being in Jesus, we don't have to. We don't need to reach that level because Jesus already has, and we can rest in him because of that. So let's get back to our passage and our first point, our status in the world. Paul is addressing this church of sinful people, normal people, And he says this, For consider your calling, brethren. I don't know about you guys, but that's not how I would have started this section. The church at Corinth was a bunch of knuckleheads. Um, I probably would have started this section by saying, Hey, boneheads, uh, get your act together. That's not what Paul does. Uh, Paul calls them brethren, which is sounds male-specific, but it's a gender-neutral term in the Greek. It means brothers and sisters. He's saying, My brothers and sisters... Consider your calling. Paul is not placing himself higher than the people he's addressing. He's not acting as their superior, their master. He's their brother, their equal. This is an important point, but we're going to come back to it at the end. 
Paul says, consider your calling. What he's essentially saying is, remember who you were and where you were when you first got saved. In the Bible, there's, there's really three different types of calling that the Bible talks about. There's the general call to salvation that God offers to all people through Christ, that all would receive salvation through him. That's the general call that everybody receives. Then there's a, a little bit more of a defined call for those that do believe in Christ. It is the call to walk in the will of God, to f- obey his commandments, to walk in his commands that the Bible sets forth. That's the second call. And then the third one is more specific, being called to a specific ministry or a specific group of people. In this sense, in this passage, Paul is saying, remember who you were when you were first called to salvation. When you were first called out of the darkness and into the light, consider your place when God saved you. And he goes on to say that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. The phrase according to the flesh literally means by human standards, by worldly standards. Paul is saying, remember who you were when you were called to faith, that there were not many wise by human standards, not many noble by human standards, not many mighty by human standards. By worldly standards, most of the Corinthians were nothing in regard to wisdom, influence, and status. They were not super educated, powerful, or prominent in society. One commentator said it this way, They seemed to have a real lack of public esteem, political power, family status, and influence. They were simple, normal, nothing special to behold type of people. Simple, normal, nothing special to behold type of people. Does that resonate with any of you? In some sense, the Corinthians were like many of us when we were called. Most of us were nothing special, and yet God chose to save us anyway. Let's look at this next section together. Continuing on. For consider your calling, brethren, that not many were wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. God has chosen the foolish things of the world, the weak things of the world, the base things of the world, the despised things of the world, even the things that when you gather them all together equal up to nothing. It's so interesting to me to see the type of people, the type of things that God chooses for himself. He takes the low things, the simple things, the nobodies, the nothings. But notice the purpose for why God chooses these things. He chooses the foolish, the weak, the base, the despised to shame the wise, to shame the strong, to shame the noble, to shame the mighty. God chooses the things that are low in the world's eyes to shame those who are great in their own eyes. The reason why God chooses the low things in the world's eyes is to shame those that are great in their own eyes. God desires all the glory for himself. If you're great in your own eyes, you have no place with God. I want to look at this a little bit more. So if you would just look back a few verses at verse 18, 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 20. Paul clarifies this beforehand. 
For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? God has destroyed the wisdom of this world. Not by supplying a worldly wisdom, but a divine wisdom. A wisdom that comes from above, as James says. And that divine wisdom for us is seen most prominently at the cross. But for those that are perishing, for the world, the gospel message is foolishness. It's foolishness because it's backwards. So for those of you who know me a little bit, you'll know that I'm a big Star Wars fan. Okay? These guys know. All right. I'm just going to say right now, there's no spoilers in this um, for the new movie. Um, but if there, uh, if you haven't seen the original movies, there are spoilers. And if you haven't seen them, shame on you. Can I get an amen? Amen? That's right. All right. I'm a big Star Wars fan. I have a Star Wars calendar in my office. Uh, I have a Star Wars mug. Um, I went to Star Wars Celebration, which is a convention in Anaheim with about 10,000 other Star Wars fans dressed up like Chewbacca. Uh, I didn't dress as Chewbacca, let me clarify. Um, but there was people dressed as Chewbacca. I bought my movie tickets to the movie two months in advance and then waited in line for five hours to see the new movie. Okay? Um, I'm a nerd. Yes, deal with it. Okay? All right? One of the reasons why Star Wars, in my opinion, is such a global phenomenon is because it is a classic story of good triumphing over evil. In the end of the original movies, Luke is in utter distress, being forced lightning shocked by the Emperor, and he is about to die at the hands of this Emperor, and he calls out to his father, he says, Father, and Darth Vader picks up the Emperor, and he throws him over the railing, casting him into the abyss, and he saves his son Luke, he redeems himself, and the light side of the Force wins. Notice I didn't need to look at my notes or any of that. Um, now, how well, how well do you think Star Wars would have done if in that same scene, instead of Luke being saved by his father and Vader being redeemed, he dies? What if in that same scene, instead of the light side prevailing, evil prevails? And he's the hero of the story is killed. What if instead Vader looks at his son and lets him idly die? Would the franchise be as big as it is today? Would there be a cult following with fans like me who wait in line for hours to see the next movie? Probably not. And in some sense, that is the way of the cross. In our story, the hero dies. The most powerful being in all the universe is killed at the hands of mere mortals. And yet we worship this God that's slain. The world looks at that and declares us foolish. They look at the hero of our story, beaten and bruised and bloody and naked, hanging on a cross, and us clinging to the foot of the cross and declare us fools. But for those that are being saved, the cross is not foolish. The cross is the power of God. Because while Jesus was on that cross, he died for our sins. He paid the debt that we each owed. He saved us. He redeemed us. He reconciled us. And through his death on the cross, we have life and salvation through him. And we all know that 
He didn't remain on the cross either. And three days later, he was resurrected to be at the right hand of the Father where he'd be forever. The world sees the cross and declares us foolish, but God turns the tables and says that those who turn to the cross are wise. Now God's ultimate goal in choosing the foolish, the weak, the base, the despised is in verse 29 it says, so that no man may boast before God. Why does God do this? God is worthy of and desires all the glory for himself. No man can add to God's glory and no man can take it away. No man can boast before God. No man has anything he can bring to God that changes his status before God. And that's really the main issue that Paul's talking about. It's really the main issue that he's addressing with the Corinthians. Even though they were not much when they were called, they still boast as if they were something. Even though, even worse, they they boast about being chosen by God as if they had something special that caused God to choose them. I love Calvin's comments on this verse. He says, The Corinthians had no great standing in the world, yet they were proud all the same. So let me ask you this. Like the Corinthians, do you boast in yourself before the Lord? Do you think of yourself as someone special? Are you great in your own eyes? Or are you striving to achieve some worldly standard of greatness, success, status, power, influence? Let's look at verses 30 31. Our status in Christ. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Notice it is not by your own doing, but it is by God's doing that you are in Christ Jesus. Not by anything that you could do, but only what he could do. Jeremiah 9, 23-24 will be up on the screen. It explains it a little bit better. Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not a mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. We are to boast in the Lord because it is the Lord that chose us, not anything that we did on our own through the world's wisdom and the world's idea of status. While we were still seeking to be something in our own eyes, whether it be status, power, wealth, and comfort, health, influence, and boasting about it, Christ saved us. Unlike what we were trying to do in our own salvation, Christ is not a self-improvement scheme. It's a radical rescue. While we were seeking that public esteem, that power, that status, that influence through the wisdom of the world, Christ offers us a new wisdom and offers us different gifts. Righteousness. Right standing before God. Sanctification in this sense means you are set apart to have a place with Christ. 
He gives us righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Different gifts. Christian status depends on the gift of grace through Christ, not upon self-esteem or self-promotion. The Corinthians are non-entities or nobodies. But they achieve the status of somebodies or somethings in God's eyes through the cross. And so will you. In Christ, we're given wisdom, acceptance, and status. We're given the truth. We're given a place with Christ. We're given the title of sons and daughters and co-heirs with Christ. We are called his children, his bride, his beloved. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says very clearly, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Let me pause here and say something. If you do not know the Lord personally, if you have not given Him your life, if you have not made Him your Savior, your Lord, your King, stop boasting in yourself, in your accomplishments, in your greatness. Because in the eyes of God, we are all weak and have nothing to offer Him. Stop seeking status according to the standards of the world and start seeking standards that Christ gives the status that God gives through Christ. Stop running the hamster wheel of life, trying to make something greater of yourself. Because there's only one who's great, and that's Jesus. And if you turn to Him, if you run to Him, if you believe in Him, that He paid the price for your sins, He will give you what you've always been longing for, a place, a hope, a peace, a joy, a family. He will give you acceptance and belonging he will give you what you could never be able to achieve on your own. He's faithful and He desires for you to come to Him. Stop giving the glory to yourself and start giving it to the one who deserves it. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. For those of you who are my brothers and sisters in Christ, it's simple. Rest in Him. Do not let the world pull you into its schemes. Who you are in Christ is enough. What Christ has given you is enough. Your status in Christ is better than any status you could achieve in this world. Christ is enough for you. Rest in Him. So now I'm done with my introduction. Um, let me get on to the sermon. Let me give you a little recap. Paul is speaking with the Corinthians and he tells them to stop normal, normal people, sinful people, and says, stop boasting in yourselves. Any status that you, have, you think you have that you can offer the Lord, the only status you need is that that's given by God through Christ. Paul doesn't stop there. And so neither will I. He gives them an example. Himself. And this is our third point. The most important thing. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 2. Verse 1, first verse of chapter 2. Paul says, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Paul did not come to the people of Corinth with status, with power, or with superiority of any kind. He could have claimed his apostleship as authority over them, but he did not. He called them brother. He said that they were equals, and he made himself weak. He didn't come with greatness of rhetoric or of knowledge of the world. What does it say in verse 2? 
For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Could that really be true? Could Paul really have determined to know nothing except for that one thing? Jesus Christ and Him crucified? I mean, Paul was a smart guy. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was trained underneath the, one of the most prestigious rabbis of the time. But he determined to know nothing except for that one thing, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. One commentator said this, Whether or not he spoke of anything else would be incidental. To proclaim the crucified Christ and Christ alone remain his settled policy. He didn't take a vow excluding everything else. But he did make a commitment that nothing would compromise the central place of Christ and Him crucified. Let's look at the rest of this passage and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Paul says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men but on the power of God. Paul did not use his status as an apostle to lord it over the church at Corinth. He did not use his training and his education to sound clever or smart. On the contrary, he spoke plainly of the cross of Christ so that nothing would impede, delude, or diminish that message. He put himself aside along with any speech that would tickle the ears and please his audience. His message had nothing to do with him and everything to do with Jesus Christ and him crucified. I asked you at the beginning of the message, what is the most important thing to you? What is the most important thing you can know? Is it how to gain power, wealth, status in this world by self-promotion? Or is it the promotion of another? Like the world, are you seeking to become someone special? Someone who's worthy of praise? Or are you seeking to praise another? Are you like the Corinthians who boast in themselves or like Paul whose central aim is to boast of another? The most important thing we can know is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Before I finish up, I want to I want to say one thing. This idea, this verse of Jesus Christ and Him crucified has stuck with me for 10 years. That's that verse that my friend shared with me. It's the thing that I felt pull me into pastoral ministry and I still often feel inadequate to do what God has called me to do but if there is one thing I know it's the power of the gospel I may not be eloquent, wise, successful rich, powerful in the eyes of the world but in Christ I have it all and I offer it all to you you have it all in Christ you don't need anything more, it's enough I personally want to make each and every one of you promise that to the best of my ability, with God's help and with the, 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 the strength of the Holy Spirit, that I, in my life, my message, and my ministry will revolve around that one thing, the most important thing, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Every time I get in front of you, every time I do anything in this church, I want to lift up Christ so that you can see Him where He should be in your life. And that's the promise I make to you here today. Would you guys pray with me as we close and I'm going to pray from one of my favorite passages in 1st Timothy that sums up how I'm feeling right now 
I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful putting me into service even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus it is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, couple things. How did he do? Yeah? You do all right? All right. They liked it apparently. They always clap. Yeah? All right. Um, great job. Thank you so much. I uh, want to thank also the family members and friends that came to support Doug. We really appreciate you being here. One of the things that we wrestled with with Doug, uh, the elders and I, um, was trying to explain to him that Luke of the Bible was not the same Luke from Star Wars. <laughs> we worked through it. It's just a little silly humor on my part. I can't help myself. Kelly, can you come up and join your man, your husband? This is his great wife, Kelly. We're almost there, brother. Well done. What a glorious, glorious, fantastic day at the Rock Community Church. Another day, another opportunity to be blown away by the handiwork of God. God has always called His workers to ministry and continues to do so today. He called Abraham, Moses, Peter, and Paul to particular ministries in the same way He calls us to specific ministries as well in service to our awesome Lord and King. While it is always a blessing to learn and to talk about God's provision to His people, it's especially joyful to experience tangible moments like today where we can actually see the hand of our faithful God giving generously yet again to those that follow Him, serve Him, and love Him. We are here to recognize and ordain Doug Atterbury as a pastor of the Rock Community Church. Along with his wife, Kelly, and their two precious daughters, Allie and Emmy, we clearly see this family as being sent to us from the Lord, as a blessing and a gift to this wonderful church. I'm sure I speak for all of us, Doug and Kelly, and that we look forward to being ministered by you in all the ways that the Lord has called and gifted you to do so. But I also look forward to this church being a blessing to you and your family. I hope and pray that we can come alongside you and Kelly and minister to you in practical ways so that you experience the joy of serving our God in the context of this church community. I challenge us, church, to keep this family in our prayer, prayers at all times. Will you do that for them? Thank you. As the uh, elders and trustees come up, we're going to be praying for Doug in a, in a second. What is ordination? It is simply a declaration by the leadership of the church that Doug has earned the church's confidence and endorsement for specific forms of ministry. 
ordination recognizes that the elders have had plenty of time to interview, observe, and experience the biblical qualifications of Doug Atterbury as spelled out in God's holy word. It also recognizes, Doug, that you are committing to a life of integrity and highest ethics, that you are ready to live that kind of life. Ministry simply demands a higher standard. With that being said, I want to read from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11, 12, and 13. It was the Lord who gave some to be apostles, and some to be prophets, and some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service. That's us. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Doug, you have been called to this biblical ministry. And with that, I want to challenge you with three questions. Doug, have you considered seriously this biblical ministry to which you are called? Yes. Second, will you strive to encourage the church and lead the lost to a saving relationship with Christ? Yes. And last, will you remain faithful to the teaching of Scripture, teaching the whole counsel of God as you teach within the Rock Community Church? I will. Doug, you do not enter this ministry alone, but you have the help and support of God our Father, His Son, Jesus Christ, and of course the Holy Spirit, the great cloud of witnesses as well, and of course your church family. I'm going to pray and we're going to anoint Doug and while we're praying, the worship team is going to work their way up and when we're done praying, we'll close with the worship song that the worship team will lead us into. Would you pray with me? God of our Lord Jesus Christ, we come today with praise, O God, that Jesus died for us and that we may bring our lives to Him in return. We are thankful for this, Your servant who offers himself to the ministry of Christ. Grant him the spirit of wisdom that he may know you better. May his heart be enlightened by your word. May his feet be swift with the gospel of peace. His hands outstretched toward those in need. His tongue ready with the message of Christ. May his message always be true to your word and his life consistent with his words. When discouragement comes, uphold him, please, Lord. In his successes, shield him from pride. Let him fear God rather than men. Work through him to do your will, to bring men to Christ, to build up the church, to extend the kingdom of righteousness. Be his constant companion, Father, and may he also be yours. May his life cause many to find salvation in Christ Jesus our Lord, through whom we pray and everyone said, Amen. I present to you Pastor Doug.